I'm Evan Knappen, and welcome to Gun Lawyer. Hey, I have a fun fact for everyone today. Yep, I've been working a lot on New Jersey gun laws and such, and uh, I have the following to report, and it is absolutely true. Do you know that New Jersey gun laws are actually four times the size of the Communist Manifesto? That is a fact. That is how many gun laws we have. We have more. We have four times the amount of gun laws than it took for Karl Marx to write his manifesto that brought misery to millions and millions over years and years, and is still dogging us to this day. That's right. But New Jersey has succeeded in having four times the amount of words as appears in the Communist Manifesto. So I think that's quite a statement, and it's really one of the key problems that we have in New Jersey, and for that matter, all throughout the United States, is that there are so many infringements on what shall not be infringed that we have essentially lost count. The old estimate used to be there were 20,000 infringements nationwide, but I am sure that is probably five times that figure by now, at least in terms of infringements. Now, on the good news, uh, I think with the um, reinvigoration of the Second Amendment and with the Bruin case that we've discussed, we're going to see these infringements be uh, attacked left and right. They already are, and we should see them fall and we should see tremendous progress. It's going to take a lot of time. It took a lot of time to get us to this sorry state of affairs. And it's not something that, you know, with a magic wand, that's just going to go away. But we have been given a very substantial tool to do that. But it is astounding as to just how many gun laws there are and how these gun laws just have no effect on crime. It's just a constant lie and, a, and an anti-gun narrative to disarm us and to take away our rights. And it's just triggered by emotion. It's fueled by emotion. It's passed based on emotion. And then we're left to sort it out. And those that suffer are the law-abiding that get caught in its vicious traps. And New Jersey not only has some of the worst, if not, in my opinion, the worst, it also is so extreme in its approach and its penalties and its enforcement that New Jersey is by far the worst scenario in America. It just wins the prize for sure. And so along those lines, I have gotten an interesting email question that was sent to me. And I want to talk about it in depth because it really shows just how effed up New Jersey is. Now, let's remember, we're talking about a state that makes possession of a slingshot a felony-level offense, right? 
And we've discussed just how unbelievably bad the gun laws are to try to follow and understand and how they are applied so unfairly and how the system is essentially rigged to disenfranchise all of us of our gun rights. Because in New Jersey, there's really no gun offense that's lower than a felony level offense. I use that term felony level, even though New Jersey calls them crimes. I like to call them felony level offense because it makes it clear what we're talking about. We're talking about offenses that make individuals barred from exercising their gun rights anywhere in America because as a convicted felon under federal law, you become a prohibited person throughout the United States. And federal law does not care one bit that you lost your gun rights because you had the nerve to possess a slingshot in New Jersey. It still counts. And you become disenfranchised and a prohibited person and lose your Second Amendment rights. So we see this, and my whole practice is dedicated to defending what I lovingly call law-abiding criminals because the laws have turned these individuals into criminals and they're attempting to make it permanent on them by destroying their lives and their hopes and their dreams and their finances and their families and their careers, you know, the whole job. And often I realize that it's really funded and fueled not by some noble purpose or even some misguided thought that this could do something about crime. It really boils down to folks just hating us, hating guns and hating gun owners. And that hatred is expressed through the laws that they pass because there is no rational basis here. Oh, they'll put forward their narrative and make claims that it somehow is in public interest. But reality is that it, it never is. And we know it and we see it. And it is something that um, we have to not give up and we have to fight. So here's a letter that I received from from James, someone I've known for many years, but I'm still not going to use his last name. And James writes regarding NJ 101.5, which is a local radio station. He says, regarding NJ 101.5 tells residents to buy an illegal gun, question mark. I know it's ridiculous, but aren't the bug assault toys considered firearms in New Jersey? And then he gives a link to the 101.5 uh, uh, article uh, and such and uh, dealing and talking about the bug assault. Now, I don't know if you're familiar with the bug assault, but it's kind of a fun thing. And the headline to the 101.5 link, which you can see yourself, says, Assault Weapon to Kill Spotted Lanternflies, colon, New Jersey has these options. So they're putting the bug assault out there as a uh, as a as a as a way to help control the dreaded 
lanternfly infestation that is taking place. And I think some of this article is written in, you know, to be uh, funny and tongue-in-cheek, but it is also seriously promoting um, the use, at least from the way I read it. And um, it is a question. It's a legitimate question. What a bug assault is, is a air-powered, you pump it once, and it fires a burst of salt. Literally, a pinch of salt is fired from air power, and it's extremely effective on bugs. And you can kill flies and spiders and other creepy crawlies uh, that uh, you don't want in your house or around you. And by using salt, it's effective on bug killing, but has does not have the uh, negative effects that a chemical bug spray would have. And it also allows for uh, killing bugs without having to smash them, whether it be with newspapers, magazines, backup shoes, hands, etc. And often, as you know, flies might uh, they love to kind of buzz around windows and things made of glass and lights. And if you start trying to smash them, you start becoming like one of the cartoons where your house is getting destroyed in your quest for killing the bug. Well, the bug assault does not least to my knowledge, cause damage to glass or to lighting and things like paint, things like that. So it can be very effective, a tool, more like a modern-day fly swatter. But the question that James raises here is, is it essentially illegal in New Jersey? Is a bug assault an air-powered mechanism that fires or projects a pinch of salt like a shotgun blast but miniaturized in salt is that a lawful item in New Jersey and in order to answer that question well we can start by looking at New Jersey's laws which is always a good place to start when you want to know about whether something's legal or not. And one of the places I want to start is let's start in New Jersey with a definition of what is a firearm. This is New Jersey's statutory definition of firearm. Firearm means any handgun, rifle, shotgun, machine gun, automatic or semi-automatic rifle, or any gun device, or other instrument in the nature of a weapon from which may be fired or ejected any solid projectable ball, slug, pellet, missile, or bullet, or any gas, vapor, or noxious thing by means of a cartridge or shell or by the action of explosive or the igniting of flammable or explosive substances. It shall also include, without limitation, any firearm which is in the nature of an air gun, spring gun, 
or pistol or other weapon of similar nature in which the propelling force is a spring, elastic band, carbon dioxide, compressed or other gas or vapor, air or compressed air, or is ignited by compressed air, ejecting a bullet or missile smaller than three-eighths of an inch in diameter, diameter with sufficient force to injure a person. So let's take a look at the elements of what makes a firearm in terms of the bug assault. And when you look at New Jersey's definition of firearm, first it talks about a gun device or other instrument in the nature of a weapon. And when you go to even the Bug Assault's own website and you go to their safety section on their website, they publish their safety policy. And it's at the Bug Assault website. And it says, all customers purchasing a Bug Assault original salt gun, so they refer to it as a gun themselves, and any and all variations of bug assault guns, including but are not limited to models of the Shredder, here and after bug assault guns, must certify they are 18 years of age or older and agree to the terms and conditions herein of the safety policy and code of conduct prior to completing their order or for Indiegogo customers prior to your order being shipped to you. Scale Inc., makers of bug assault guns and their employees, directors, and contractors and advisors take safety seriously. That's why we put together this safety policy and code of conduct for use of our product. If you do not agree to abide by the safety policy and code of conduct, do not purchase the bug assault guns for yourself or others. And the very first number one on their policy says, Treat the bug assault guns as loaded firearms at all times. Do not, under circumstances, point the gun at any person or pet or valuable personal property. Never leave a, the bug assault guns in a cocked and loaded position when not in use and always leave the safety engaged until you decide it is safe to fire in a direction that will not cause injury or damage to people, pets, or personal property. Number two says, never point bug assault guns in the direction of a person's body, face, or eyes. The bug assault guns spray a shotgun pattern of salt that disperses wider as it travels toward the, its target and so it should never be fired if there are people or pets in the 180-degree plane in front of the gun. All people and pets should be behind you when the gun is being fired or pointed at any target. All the bug assault guns, number three, are intended only to shoot flies and other harmless insects. Do not shoot other animals including cats, dogs, and other mammals. Do not shoot mites, rats, or other rodents. Do not attempt to shoot poisonous or otherwise dangerous insects, 
slash vertebrates, reptiles, or mammals, including but not limited to snakes and scorpions. Do not shoot beneficial insects such as butterflies and other pollinating insects. Some bug assault guns like the Shredder are made with power to shred hornets, wasps, or scorpions. However, these pets bite or sting, so you must take special care when hunting and shooting them and following instructions which come with your shredder. Anyway, it goes on. So the question here is, is it a firearm under New Jersey law? Well, first of all, is it in the nature of a gun or a weapon which may be fired or ejected? And their own policy seems to make it pretty clear that it is. And it is fired by gas, and I think the shredder is fired by a compressed gas, and it is possibly carbon dioxide, specifically as mentioned here. And does it eject a bullet or missile smaller than three-eighths of an inch in diameter? And, of course, salt is substantially smaller than three-eighths of an inch in diameter with sufficient force to injure a person. And, well, look at their safety warnings. Does bug assault think it has sufficient force to injure a person? Does the manufacturer, by their own publications, do they seem to indicate this? What happens if you're shot in the eye or in the face with a bug assault? I don't think I want to get shot in the eye with a shotgun burst assault. And is that considered a noxious thing? And see, plainly here, I mean, this is something designed for bug shooting and killing pests and lantern flies, as suggested by uh, 101.5, and I get that. The problem is New Jersey's gun laws themselves. Look at how broad and overbroad, really, their definition of firearm is, how it takes in all types of air guns and BB guns. And by the way, BB guns and air guns and pellet firing guns, they are firearms under New Jersey law. Traditional BB, pellet, etc., 177 pellet, 22 cal pellet, you name it. Those guns are firearms, plainly, no question, they are. Now, some of you may say, well, what about if I have a paintball marker? Well, paintball markers have been taken outside the definition of firearm by a case in Ray Gong, but one of the key distinguishing features of a paintball marker is that its projectile is larger than three-eighths of an inch, and it is designed for, specifically for, shooting at people, because the game of paintball is played in that manner, and that's what it's designed for. So paintball markers have been taken out of this. What about, what about soft air? Well, soft air gets trickier, because its projectile is a six millimeter, normally plastic pell, plastic pellet. It's not really designed for injury, although tests have been made, uh, and although it could uh, sting or hurt uh, if it hits an eye or something, it is not. It's not what its uh, intended use. In fact, there are many games played where soft air is intentionally fired at persons in competitions, very popular, for example, in Japan and other places. America seems to prefer paintball, but there are still soft air guns 
in which these things take place. And, of course, any of these things you need eye protection to wear. Now, soft air is a little bit harder on the scale because if you have a line and you have paintball at one end, which is legal in Jersey and not a firearm, and at the other end you have traditional pellet firing BB and air guns, lead pellets, etc. They're firearms, they're at the other end. Soft air lands somewhere in the middle, and uh, I've been able to win soft air cases if their allegations have been made as to a firearm. Now, I've not had experience yet defending on the bug assault, on anyone charged with possession of a bug assault. But I have no doubt that I will get that case because it's New Jersey, folks, no doubt. And I've read you the definition of firearm, and you can see how the state will attempt to argue using the manufacturer's own publication. And by, I'm sure, in whatever fact pattern presents in the case that they've attempted to charge, will probably involve somebody who got shot in the eye by somebody with one of these things, and we'll be dealing with it. So as ridiculous as it is, I would have to advise to stay away from possessing a bug assault in New Jersey. As I said, we're talking about the state that makes possession of a slingshot a felony level offense and makes possession of a Daisy Red Rider BB gun a firearm and is treated as such under the law and so James's question is not as crazy as it sounds and you should take heed when I come back I have some other great Ask Evan letters to uh, talk about For over 30 years, attorney Evan Knappen has seen what rotten laws do to good people. That's why he's dedicated his life to fighting for the rights of America's gun owners. A fearsome courtroom litigator fighting for rights, justice, and freedom. An unrelenting gun rights spokesman tearing away at anti-gun propaganda to expose the truth. Author of six best-selling books on gun rights, including Knappen on Gun Law a bright orange gun law Bible that sits atop the desk of virtually every lawyer, police chief, firearms dealer, and savvy gun owner. That's what made Evan Knappen America's gun lawyer. Gun laws are designed to make you a criminal. Don't become the innocent victim of a vicious anti-gun legal system. This is the guy you want on your side. Keep his name and number in your wallet and hope you never have to use it. But if you live, work, or travel with a firearm, the deck is already stacked against you. You can find him on the web at evannappen.com or follow the link on the Gun Lawyer resource page. Evan Knappen, America's Gun Lawyer. You're listening to Gun Lawyer with attorney Evan Knappen. Available wherever you get your favorite podcasts. I am a Hello, we're back here at Gun Lawyer. I appreciate my listeners so much. Uh, any of you that uh, subscribe, you don't miss an episode, I suggest you do. 
if you haven't already, and tell your friends. This way we get to talk about these fun things and warn you about all the crazy stuff that New Jersey and other anti-gun activities that seem to never stop. Anyway, I have a great letter here, and it's, uh, it's from Rick, regarding H.R. 38, the Concealed Carry Reciprocity Act. Hi, Evan. Love your podcast. It's both informative and entertaining, and I've learned a lot from it. Is that like Hank Hill on propane? It's both clean and efficient. No, I'm just kidding. Okay. I hold CCW permits in five states. Max coverage and all that, you know. Funny thing is, I could never get one in the state that I live in. He happens to live in, you know, the DPRNJ, right? Happy to see that's finally changed. I'm currently in the process. My town, I'll skip his name, of the town for privacy is notoriously slow. And I've waited up to four months on several occasions. We'll see how this one played out. So with the recent decision in Bruin and the current state of affairs, which this country is leading to, many are saying, there will be a red wave in November. What are your thoughts on HR 38 concealed carry reciprocity? Do you think something similar will come back to life? And what are the chances of it ever being ratified? Or I guess passed would be it. Well, let me tell you, that's an interesting question because it is very important. Reciprocity is that all states recognize each other's right to carry. Now, if you look at the movement for rest national reciprocity, it's kind of interesting because originally in the 80s, we had the beginning of the modern shall-issue-carry permit movement. And essentially the first modern state to enact it, other than states that already had things, like what's where, where the trend really lit on fire for the country was in Florida, when Florida passed its shall-issue-carry. And, of course, when they did, we heard all the anti-gunners screaming, bits, bits, and what I, bits is what I call uh, abbreviation for blood in the streets. Anytime there's liberty given, anytime Second Amendment gets respected, the first thing they're going to shout is, Bits, blood in the streets, blood in the streets. It's always blood. There should be so much blood in the street. We should be overflowing, like out of a uh, Stephen King novel, with just endless rivers of blood everywhere. So much, every. But anyway, the bottom line is, of course, it doesn't materialize, and it doesn't become the Wild West. We're going to be the Wild West. I always love that. The Wild West, really interesting. Actually, I like westerns a lot. Enjoy them. Part of me said I wouldn't necessarily mind being the Wild West. But you know what? It never becomes, quote, the Wild West in the derogatory sense that they mean it. Uh, we haven't seen that. No, in fact, what happens is individuals are able to protect themselves, and instead of being victims, they become defenders. And this movement took off with huge success, incredible success. a matter of fact, the carry movement itself, beginning with shall issue carry, it's probably one of the greatest modern-day gun rights movements itself in terms of legislation with the Heller-McDonald-Bruin trilogy being the greatest 
achievement in Second Amendment itself and the enforcement of those rights. But just from a legislative standpoint, if you look at the astounding growth of shall issue carry and how that movement took up the slack of what traditionally helped protect our Second Amendment rights. You know what that was? Hunting. That's right, folks, hunting. Hunting and the sportsmen. Prior to the explosive growth of shall issue carry for self-defense, what the antes would always have to preface their attempts at stealing our rights with is, well, well, don't worry, it's not going to affect hunters and sportsmen. Because the hunting sportsmen contingent was a strong voting contingent. And it still is something to be reckoned with. Don't get me wrong. It's still there and important. But the sad truth is a number of hunters have declined and lands available for hunting and with our world of of internet and video and modern generations becoming more couch potatoes and glued to computer screens than ever before, being an outdoors person is not what it used to be. And so, honestly, we did see shrinkage in that great force of gun owners that we put under a banner of of hunters and sportsmen. But what picked up the slack and then went beyond it was the explosion of carry for self-defense. And it began with shall issue licenses. And state after state after state started enacting shall issue carry licenses so that law-abiding citizens could finally protect themselves with the most effective means, a firearm. And they could carry that firearm to defend themselves. And it was no longer just an elitist thing limited to those special people or simply to, quote, law enforcement and military. No. It exploded and became a movement of liberty. And it exploded so much, the liberty became so loved, understood, and recognized that it evolved into the next step, which was constitutional carry. In other words, the individual no longer needed a permission slip, that a shall-issue permit wasn't even required. You could just carry if you're a law-abiding citizen and protect yourself without the license, permit, or permission slip. And at this moment, half of the United States, 25 states have constitutional carry, well over 50% of the land mass of the United States has constitutional carry. That's right. You can be a real American and actually exercise a right to protect yourself with a handgun without any permission slip. The growth of carry for self-defense is astounding, and it morphed from liberty to greater liberty, and it's wonderful. But now the question asked from Rick, well, what about national reciprocity? 
Well, at one point when we had so many states that had carry licenses and the states individually would come to different agreements as to which state would recognize other states. And Florida, New Hampshire, Utah, other states had a lot of states that would join together, 20, 30 states all recognizing each other. And the idea was to get every state to recognize every state so that it would operate similar along the lines of a driver's license. But what's funny is the growth of constitutional carry, no permit carry, kind of removes the need, at least in half of the United States, for any need for reciprocity. Because in half the United States, you can carry with no license anywhere. And no, states don't have to have agreements with each other. We don't need a national reciprocity law anymore in those states. Now, that being said, of course, you have the other half of the country that is still utilizing permits. And for the most part, the handful of the worst offenders, New Jersey being one of the key ones, that would not even issue carry licenses, at least not in any basis where an average citizen could get one. And Bruin has changed that. Bruin has absolutely changed that. It eliminated the bar created either by courts or by legislature to require this showing of need. And as great Justice Thomas said, you know, no other right do we have to somehow go to government officials and explain why we need it in order to use it, you know. And that's been eliminated. So it means that licenses at least have to be issued. And we have that right under Bruin to carry in public to defend ourselves. So plainly, that's made it so the states that were combative and hate the Second Amendment and the worst offenders that didn't want to give individuals the ability to carry, they now have to do it. Kicking and screaming, yeah, but they have to do it. And so it does open up an opportunity for a greater argument of reciprocity now because no state can be a holdout anymore because the Bruin decision makes it clear we all have that Second Amendment right to carry. And although licensing to what degree remains to be seen can still be done, Ultimately, the standard needs to be objective, and that right needs to be there. So I think, politically, the ability for national reciprocity has been enhanced by Bruin because every state must allow somehow for carry. And so that would lend itself to a theory of national reciprocity. But, of course, with half the country requiring no license, if you looked at H.R. 38, it had language for, at the time, there were a few states, a handful of states, that were constitutional carry. And the language said, if you're a resident of one of those states, then you could carry in any state without a license. And what it would mean, if that passed, is that an individual who lived in, say, uh, New Hampshire or Texas or Arizona or any of these places that have constitutional carry, would be able to carry in a state like New Jersey with no license. And that would be great. And that would help push constitutional carry through the rest of the land. Now, of course, 
New Jersey and other states that are still licensed states, they're not going to want that. They're still not going to want it. They still aren't going to respect it. It's still going to be a fight. But if politically things change to where those that respect the Second Amendment are in power federally, then I can see a reciprocity act coming forward. It may have some need of some adjustment, but I think politically it's more palatable than it was. But of course, ultimately, ultimately, it may be completely unnecessary because as bad as it still is in the states that now kicking and screaming have to issue carry license, I still believe that having witnessed the evolution from Florida, beginning in Florida, which shall issue carry, to half of America being constitutional carry, that I believe that one day we will actually have constitutional carry in every state. And you may say, oh, even New Jersey, even California, even these. And I get the skepticism. I didn't say it's going to happen real soon. But as more and more individuals are licensed to carry, then that license itself is debated as to its necessity. And all I can say is that history has demonstrated that it does go away. And in half the country, it has gone away. So I think there's eventual hope that we will get even beyond national reciprocity. But until that day, I hope politically we can get that through. And I believe the Bruin case does help to pave that way for us. Time will tell. We have to be vigilant. We have the midterms coming up. It's going to be a slow process. But we got to gain our freedoms back in the same way we lost them. Slice by slice, the salami tactic of the anti-gunners. I mean, think of all those infringements that they've succeeded in passing. They didn't do it overnight, folks. And we're going to have to get rid of them just this way. But there's hope and never give up fighting. And we've seen improvement. And we can look back and see how the liberty movements in guns have, have worked. And individuals now that carry all have a vested interest in the Second Amendment. The carry movement itself has strengthened the Second Amendment in the United States. Until next time, folks, this is Evan Knappen reminding you that gun laws don't protect honest citizens from criminals. They protect criminals from honest citizens. Gun Lawyer is a CounterThink media production. The music used in this broadcast was managed by Cosmo Music, New York, New York. Reach us by emailing evan at gun.lawyer. The information and opinions in this broadcast do not constitute legal advice. Consult a licensed attorney in your state.